Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I am here with George Mays for Text Driven Tuesday. And we are now in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. So if you got a Bible, you want to grab that, go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. And we are well into Hebrews now. You've got uh, one more mm-hmm. until you take a break. So um, we're moving into a section now. Um, it's very interesting to think about the things we're going to look at today. Yeah. We talk about uh, what is a human and why is it important Jesus is a human. Yeah. It may it may cause some some people some cognitive dissonance for a little bit. What do you think? It's it's easy for us to I think grasp the deity of Jesus. But I think what a lot of Christians today are are weak on is his humanity. Yeah. And what that means. Uh-huh. So they'll they'll confess that Jesus is a man, but they hold back some of the humanity from him uh-huh. yeah. because it makes him seem weak. Right. It's kind of the point. Right. <laughs> is that he, he enters into our weakness. And so I, I think that we need to uh, be reminded and, and rediscover the, the full humanity of Jesus, that right. he was and is truly a man. Yeah, that's important too to remember is mm-hmm. and is forever mm-hmm. a man. That one that one's different too to think about. I I don't remember really being taught these things when I was growing up. They missed out on Sunday school? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, I I don't think that it was it was really emphasized. The the you know, the orthodox statements were there. I grew up um confessing the Trinity. And there's one God, there's three persons, but it wasn't really described um, in a a way that really captured the reality of it. Right. Um, and then why does it even matter? Right. You know, you've got these doctrines, this list of doctrines that you've got to subscribe to uh-huh. to be an Orthodox Christian. But we forget that these these doctrines, they're not just there for you to check the box they actually do matter. And the Trinity matters. The incarnation matters. And that's what we're going to see in this passage, uh, especially next week. Uh, this is just the introduction to that that doctrine. Next week, uh, when we get to the, the last several verses of the chapter, it's really going to come home. Why is it important that Jesus be truly a man? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and it is important to understand this, and it's not just for theological reasons. E- even the author of Hebrews has a purpose for this, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us why, because it'll help us to frame where we are uh, contextually, and then I'll have you to read it. Uh, it's very applicable to our lives now, um, in a lot of ways. But why is the the he, uh, the author? Do you think? framed this, which is, is really a section, mm-hmm. next two sermons or next two discussions, this one and the next week, they frame one, they had to break them up, but mm-hmm. why is it why is it here? 
you know, verses five through 18 form a whole unit. Um, so we, we, when you read it, you want to, you want to hold that together and, and realize this is one thought. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, as we're preaching, we, uh, we're going to have to break it up. There's no way I, I think I went, I think I went 15 minutes over yesterday. You did? I, I don't, so. I don't know. Um, I was looking at the, we've got a little clock in the pulpit um, so we don't abuse the time given to us. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, <laughs> where did the time go? Uh, I don't know where the time went because um, I still have a couple of pages left and it's after 12 o'clock. <laughs> so uh, that was... You have to bring them in in your intro next time. I guess so. Bridge them together like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was... Uh, it It is a... It's one... It's one whole passage, but we have to break it apart. Uh, why is it here? The point, what is the main point that the author is making? That is actually debated. And that was really difficult because how are you going to explain the text if you don't know why it's there in the first place? <laughs> um, and that, that was really, it was kind of frustrating as I was looking at commentators because they were saying different things. So some were saying that um, verses one through four were, were forming a parentheses and the author is jumping back up to the end of, of chapter one. And so this is really Jesus is better than the angels part three. Mm-hmm. So he's continuing talking about how Jesus is better than the angels. Um, some others kind of suggested this maybe was an apologetic that, uh, you know, there were some, some Jews that were pushing back against this claim that Jesus was divine because he died. So he's dealing with Jesus's death and why Jesus's death um, was important, why it was necessary. Um, I went rogue on this. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just tell you that, that I'm, I'm kind of pulling all of this together and I am suggesting that what the main point is is now he is he's bringing all of these these theological truths about who Jesus is, and he's saying this is why it matters to you. Uh-huh. And I'm seeing this as as I was looking through the warning passages. Something that that stuck out to me is that after every warning passage, and and chapter two is it's pretty tame um, in comparison to chapter six, uh, chapter ten, um, where he's talking about there is no repentance. For people who apostatize, uh-huh. that's that's really strong. Right. He, he hasn't quite gotten to that level yet. He's he's going to build. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I saw after after each warning passage is that he gives a word of encouragement to the Christians. So, for instance, in, in chapter six, this is the warning passage that everyone struggles with the most. This is where you're like, okay, what what is going on with this warning passage? Who is this addressing? Because he says that, that it's impossible, it's impossible for those who, um, who have once been enlightened and who have tasted of the Holy Spirit and of the age to come and that they, they, they've experienced all the benefits who fall away. Um, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. Right. That's really strong. Uh-huh. Well, then in verse 9, he says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure better things, things that belong to salvation. Mm-hmm. So he speaks really strong. You, you've got to be on your guard. You have, to, you have to heed these warnings lest you fall away. But then he says, 
we have hope that you're not going to fall away. Yeah. And he does this. I, I think you can see it. After after every one of these warning passages, there is a word of encouragement and hope. Mm-hmm. And I think they go together. I, I think that we have to we have to be mindful of these warnings. Um you there is a real danger. There is a real sense in which you can fall away and apostatize. You can you can if you you know if you want to use the language of losing your salvation you there is a real danger of that but as we saw um last last time when we were talking about the warning passages there they are the means by which god keeps the, his people from losing their salvation yeah so they're actually there to prevent the the falling away uh-huh. um and that's i think that's what's going on in these passages after the warning the warnings is that he's saying there is a real danger, but we have a real hope. Uh-huh. And the hope is not you're going to, you know, muster up all this strength and you're going to drum up, you know, more faith. It's we have Christ. And because of Christ, you will persevere to the end. So this is a real warning and we yeah. need to feel the full weight of it. But as we go as we go past the warning, we need to be reminded of the full weight of our assurance and our security. We have hope, and it's in Christ. And I think that's what is going on here in verses five through eighteen. And yeah. none of the, none of the I, I could be wrong because none of the commentators really brought that out. Um, they they hit on the same stuff like the necessity of the incarnation, um, the purposes of God for humanity in the incarnation. All all the things I brought out. Were uh, were there in all the all the commentators that I I was reading, but none of them really addressed this fact that this is here to give you hope. So, where's kind of your thesis idea? There are three reasons to have hope. It's from this it, yeah passage. yeah yeah. There's the, this passage this this section of, of verses five through thirteen. It fosters hope in your heart by reminding you of three things. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, let's have you read the passage then. Okay, all right. I'll read 5 through 13. It says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. All right, good. Okay, so you've got three, there are three things that you have here. Uh, I have the first as, um, we can take hope in, number one, God has a purpose for humanity. Yep. So the author seems to be drawing a lot from the Old Testament and the Psalms. Oh, yeah. And he's done it again. 
Wow, I love I love this brings us all the way back to the beginning of the of the book. Uh-huh. Long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. And so he's he's showing us how God spoke to the fathers in the prophets, but he's also showing how this there's not this big disconnect. The Old Testament revelation is always pointing forward to the reality of Christ. And so in the new reality that has come in Christ, the new revelation that's come in Christ, the fullness of revelation. Now we can look back at the Old Testament and we can get the fullness of it. Yeah. We can we can look at the Old Testament and we can read it in its complete meaning. Mm-hmm. Not not that the meaning wasn't there in the Old Testament, but now when the, the shadows have dispersed and here's Christ um, come in the flesh and all the all the purposes of God are are found in him. Um, now we can look at the Old Testament and we can say, well, that's that's what that meant. Yeah, yeah. And so he's, yeah, he's he is showing. Don't you can't be a, you can't be a unhitch the Old Testament guy. Yeah, and and understand what's going on in Hebrews because the author of Hebrews says you can't unhitch this. Yeah. It is a, it's vital for you to understand the New Testament. You got to understand the Old Testament. You know what I kind of like about this here. It's uh, sometimes I don't know exactly where like a verse is, but I've got the verse, and so I'm taking this as permission in my sermons to say it says somewhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna quote it. This this is what he does. Uh-huh, yeah. Author of Hebrews, like it's been testified somewhere. It's been testified somewhere. Yeah, we, and we know that's uh, Psalm eight, right? Yeah. Now I don't I don't know if he's <laughs> I don't know if his point is I lost I lost where this is I don't remember where it is somewhere in the Psalms. Um, or it could just be that he is emphasizing that this is the Holy Spirit speaking, right. and he's he's been doing that throughout chapter one uh, we you go back to how he's testifying right. to the son he says god says and he quotes something that david said yeah. god says and he quotes something that moses said uh-huh. and, and so he may be doing the same thing here i don't know if we should look at it as this is inspired forgetfulness <laughs> well i'm just saying they don't they aren't as uh, precise as we when we say they might say right as the prophet Isaiah uh-huh. says right and then they tell you and then they quote from isaiah and yeah. malachi right <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to figure out, like, well, uh-huh. you just switched on me. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Their their view of the Old Testament is better than ours. Yeah. Because they don't just say it's divinely inspired. They truly believe that God spoke this. Right. Like, this is God's word. And so I can say, I can say Isaiah said this, quote a little bit from Isaiah, and then jump over to another place. And it's the same divine author. So they're right. not they're not you know pulling the old switcheroo on us. Right. Um, they are having a high view of the inspiration of Scripture, and I think that that's probably what's going on here. Though he might have just you know instead of saying, "You mean they don't believe in three Isaiahs?" <laughs> right. Shocker. <laughs> instead of saying, you know, David wrote this. Yeah. Um, he he could just be going along with this idea that it's the spirit that's inspiring this. Yeah. The spirit is is speaking this. Yeah. Um, he's not he's not saying that David didn't write it. He's right. just emphasizing yeah. the spirit's role in in you, uh, authoring this. You don't think they would read Paul with the hermeneutics of suspicion? I don't think so. I don't well, think they'd be like, well, well, here's here's the ones that we know Paul wrote, and here's the ones that we think maybe he wrote, and here's the ones we say he definitely didn't write. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to, it's a little sneak peek for for Friday. Is it? 
Yeah, the guy said he's down with Jesus, but he reads Paul with a oh, hermeneutic yeah. of uh-huh. suspicion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll bring it in. I'll show you a little clip. <laughs> so he brings up Psalm 8, and the emphasis of that Psalm, I think, is something that needs to be remembered. And it's particularly important because you're able to contrast this apologetically in the world in which we live. Mm-hmm. Like you ask a secular person, what is the purpose of humanity? Yeah. They, I mean, the purpose of humanity, I mean, really, when they get down to it, is every person creates their own purpose. Because, yeah. like, survival's not a, not not the thing now anymore, because, like, we're surviving. But right. So they're like, oh, well, you know, you kind of just have to make your own purpose. Yeah. How, I don't know. It depends, where you, you? I, it depends where you live, I guess. If you're living in Chicago, you might your purpose might still be to survive. Could be. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, the, yeah they, have, they have no explanation. Like, and uh, even that is meaningless. Yeah. I mean, what's the purpose to of survive. your purpose? What's yeah. what's the purpose of you having your own purpose? Yeah. Because you're going to die and you're going to go into the ground and there's... And even that's different if you ask what's your purpose to a secular person. Right. Like to ask the even bigger question, what is the purpose of humanity? Right. They can't give an answer. Mm-hmm. So what is, according to the Bible, the purpose of humanity? Why does the author of Hebrews bring in Psalm 8? Um, it's it's found in verse five, I think. It's not to the angels that God has subjected the world to come of which we're speaking, but he said somewhere, and then he quotes Psalm eight, mm-hmm. uh, who has the world to come been subjected to? It might be surprising. It's man. It's mankind. Um, and so the, I think that we maybe, when I ask that question, who's who is the world to come subjected to? Some Christians probably just jump immediately to Jesus. Uh-huh. We're getting there, right? But we got to get there through the the argument that the the author of Hebrews is making, and he goes back to Psalm eight. And if you look at Psalm eight, um, it's David reflecting upon um, creation um, and uh, what God. I mean, he's it's really just a commentate a commentary on um, Genesis one. So he says that. Um, you know, you, you've set your glory above the heavens. Um, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. That, that's Genesis 1. Mm. That's that is the creation mandate. When God created man in in His image, He said, "Let them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion, and have dominion over the the beast of the field and the birds of the air and the fish." Um, so Psalm eight is just a reflection on Genesis one. This was God's original purpose for mankind. He he was supposed to he was made in God's image, and he was given dominion over earth. Yeah, he was to rule as king. We see that with Adam. Um, God brings all the animals to Adam to name them. Well, why didn't God just tell Adam these are the names of these animals? It's because that's a role of a king. Yeah, the king is giving a name to the animals. Um, that's that is showing authority. They're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. They're made in God's image. They're supposed to make little image bearers. And so 
the image of God is supposed to fill the earth. Um, this this is the purpose of mankind. It's a big purpose. So the role of Adam was to be the king mm-hmm. over all of the material world. Right. And that's something that's not talked about a lot. Yeah, yeah it's not. Yeah. It, you know, and... Well, I think, it, you know, we talk, you know, the world talks about Mother Earth. Right. And how really it's it's the earth that is supreme mm-hmm. and mankind we're just i mean some people even say we're like viruses because right. we're just destroying everything well that would be a pretty decent observation of mm-hmm. how we abuse the earth but that's right. we would argue that's because we are disobeying god's mandate right god's mandate to rule as a king mm-hmm. means to turn this place into a paradise not as a tyrant Right to use because the, we're not we're not Adam was not given authority he wasn't given kingship so that he could rule independently of God God wasn't saying all right I've given you this earth and I'm going to go somewhere else and you're on your own yeah Adam was supposed to rule under God's kingship yeah so we we cultivate the earth we steward it we turn it into a paradise right the earth is a paradise under God's rule yeah, yeah, you've got you've got this garden. And Adam is supposed to work and keep it. What what happens when you work and keep a garden? It flourishes and it grows. And Eden, the Garden of Eden, wasn't supposed to stay in one location. It was supposed to spread. The yeah. the whole earth is supposed to turn into Eden. Have you ever like uh, walked on perfectly meticulous short grass with no shoes or socks on? Mm-hmm. It's like the best thing in the world. Yeah, I always kind of imagine like we're missing out on that. Uh, I mean, we're missing out on tons of stuff. But you just it's like walk on concrete, like. Terrible, barefooted, like terrible. Even carpet can't even simulate yeah. artificial turf. Nope. <clears throat> like cultivating the earth, like it's all there, everything that we needed to make this place a paradise. I, it's funny you brought that up because I, I kind of experienced that contrast um, yesterday. I, uh, my yard, I mow it. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the extent of me caring for my yard. You're not turning it into a paradise. I'm not. No, no. Um, <laughs> m- much of my front yard is dirt. <laughs> I went to my uh, my in laws' house yesterday, and my father in law he keeps his lawn very well maintained. Mm-hmm. And I was walking in their backyard, and I could tell the difference. Like this is plush. <laughs> this is not. This is not my barren wasteland of a front yard. Yeah. This is well taken care of. He had the, uh, you know, he had the um, water going, and he was watering his backyard and sprinklers, and it was it was nice. Yeah. And I could tell the difference. Yeah, yeah, because he he was he was being a little more faithful to cultivate right. <laughs> the earth than than I yeah. am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what. That's what uh, Adam was supposed to do. He was not supposed to destroy the earth. He was supposed to care for the earth. He was supposed to work it and keep it yeah. under the the righteous rule of God. You know what's interesting is I, I've pointed out to you before, animals, they recognize the kingly nature of humanity. Yeah. Now, what they recognize is a tyrant usually because we abuse animals a lot yeah. and uh, we aren't and they fear us, but sometimes you catch a little glimmer of it. Mm-hmm. You're like, there's a wild beast right. that should not respect human, like shouldn't respect you. Yeah. Like one example I always think of is like if a guy like rescued a lion when it was a baby, released it to the wild 10 years later, mm. like hasn't seen this, this lion since for 10 years. Yeah. 
guy goes to the wild, you know, gives a call out into the thing. Here comes a huge lion. And you're like, oh, this lion is about to totally shred this guy to pieces. It just looks like a, and the lion like stops, grabs the guy and is like doing the cat thing on him. Yeah. Like the cat rub the face thing. You're like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. And it's just a little glimmer, I think, of how there's echoes. There's echoes of Eden. Yeah, there Eden are. Still, it's it's uh, you have to look for it, but it's there. I sent you one of that guy swimming with that crocodile. Yeah. He's like, this is this is not a tame crocodile. I didn't raise this crocodile. Yeah, this is a wild crocodile. The guy's just swimming with it, and mm-hmm. the crocodile's just there chilling. It's like the crocodile respects this guy. Mm-hmm. Like how? Like how and why? Why are you not being eaten alive? And it's. Yeah, it's there. I mean, there's like... It is there. It's like a, a little glimmer of it. Mm-hmm. We tame elephants, like, what in the world? These giant beasts? <laughs> like, we ride around on these giant beasts, these mm-hmm. elephants. They do stuff for us. That makes no sense mm-hmm. at all. There's there's a reason why uh, we have zoos. The animals aren't putting us in cages. Yeah. <laughs> We're putting them in cages. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's because we have we have authority, and the animals have fear of us yeah yeah i mean you can see it the relationship with a dog we need to move on but mm-hmm. i always think like if the fall never happened our relationship with all animals would be like that with mm-hmm. my dog right like if i if my dog's doing anything i can be like come here and the dog runs over mm-hmm. and is happy it's not like oh i've got to come see this human <laughs> the human commands me i must listen you know mm-hmm. but it's happy about it it's so so I'm, I just imagine that's how it could have been with all animals. Mm-hmm. It would have been amazing. Well, you look in um, Isaiah 11, and I think Isaiah 11 is it's it's um, I think looking forward to a new earth. The animals are all at peace. You know, they're the predator and the what we would usually see as the prey are are lying down next to each other. The the lion is eating hay, mm-hmm. um, and you've got a little child that can put his hand into the adder's den safely yeah, yeah. And you can play with snakes mm-hmm. I, don't I don't know, know. I don't know. <laughs> why would you want to that's the question <laughs> um but uh that i think that it's it's looking backwards to eden and it's looking forward to uh you know when when eden when paradise will cover the entire earth and uh things will be restored but this is this is God's original purpose for mankind, and it's important for us as Christians to grasp this, because so, the world doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And so now the the next logical question is, why in the world is that in here, and how does it have anything to do with <laughs> how he started this book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a reminder that this is still God's purpose. Even, you know, thousands and thousands of years later, there wasn't an expiration date on this dominion. This is still God's purpose for humanity. Mm-hmm. And that's important for us. And that that fosters hope that God will complete his purposes, that God has not said, this is just so screwed up, there's no way that this can ever, ever be restored. Mm. That's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. Mm. There's a reason why he's quoting Psalm 8. He's quoting Psalm 8 for a reason. He's saying, look, this is God's purpose for humanity. And David wrote this, you know, 2,000 years, or 1,000 years, I guess, um, before this book was written. And he's saying, nothing's changed. This is still God's purpose. You know what's interesting is a pop culture contrast for you. 
because that's what that's what this stuff's for. Mm-hmm. Is uh, you know the uh, the the alien universe, mm-hmm. Prometheus, and it, it falls in with how just the secular mind thinks about humanity. Yeah, this world was seeded by what they call engineers. Mm-hmm. They're these uh, huge humanoid creatures. Did you see that new theory that's come out of Harvard? I didn't. Is oh, it, you oh, haven't seen oh, it? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, the, the universe was created. <laughs> created in a laboratory. Well, this, this falls into that. Uh-huh. Now, the engineers seeded this earth with their genetics, mm-hmm. and you know, we evolved, humans evolved. Now, where Prometheus comes in is that we expand out into the universe, and we find an engineer ship, and what they discover is this dirty little secret that the engineers are somehow unpleased with humanity, and they were on their way here to uh, un- to release a a uh, a earth destroying virus that mm-hmm. would dev- completely devastate humanity because somehow they're unpleased with with us how mm-hmm. we've become and see that is how people think about god mm-hmm. if there is a creator who made us he must be so displeased with us that all he's going to do is just completely decimate everything and do away with us mm-hmm. and that's completely and this is relevant because that is not what we see here, right? Right. We see the we would see something completely something different. Something different. God the the fall did not catch God off guard. Yeah. As if he had this original plan and mankind screwed it up and so he's, you know, shuffling things around to make sure that everything turns out right. Um God has one plan and it will come to fruition. Um, no, nothing, nothing is going to happen that um, is going to foil his plan, and that's that's good news. Mm-hmm. That's good news. Um, it it also, I think, in the context of Hebrews, um, it it also is helping us to remember that that there is a goal that God God's purposes for for humanity for history as a whole. It's it's reaching some culmination. There, there is a, a purpose. So I think that a lot of a lot of historians um, and philosophers they see history as kind of cyclical. Yeah, and so it just repeats itself. And there's there's a little bit of truth to that. We can see. I mean, we've talked about Rome um, and kind of the similarities between America nowadays. There's there is kind of a cyclical pattern because mankind never changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything good, they're going to eventually spoil. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a, a goal. History is moving towards a goal. And so these these Christians who are being tempted to go backwards to the temple and the priest and the animal sacrifices and to these rituals, they need to be reminded that that God's purposes move forward. They don't go backwards. So God has spoken through his son, and here's the ultimate revelation, and so you don't go back to the inferior revelation. You don't go yeah. back to these Old Testament rituals. You move forward to the reality that's found in Christ. They, they need to be reminded that history is moving towards a goal. We need to be reminded of that also. Yeah. We need to, to remember um, the world is not going to continue um, you know, into eternity like this. And it's just going to be a repeat. Nations are going to rise and fall, and nations are going to rise and fall, and it's just forever. Um, God, God has a purpose, and it's leading somewhere, and there's there's a goal, and uh, that that's a good reminder for us. Yeah. And then in verse eight and nine in the text, he kind of enlightens you to what he's really talking about, mm-hmm. and he says, "I'm talking about Jesus, <laughs> right? 
He uses uh, his name first, yeah, and that's, first time. Yeah, and that's the second that's the second point um of the sermon is that God God has a purpose for humanity. Um, but you you read in, in verse eight and it says, um, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So it tells you God's not done with this plan. Right. It just focuses on mm-hmm. what you called but well you didn't call it that. You're just repeating what Paul does, the second Adam or the last the Adam. Last Adam, the last yeah. Adam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so there's a problem and we've we've kind of addressed it already that um if this is God's original plan, well there's there's some big problems, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> because uh, even your dog doesn't do everything you want it to do, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, so, so, what do we do with all the chaos? What do we do with the fact that animals will, in the wild, um, not all lions will come up and nuzzle you <laughs> like a big cat, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Yeah. Don't try. Don't try this at home, right? Um, <laughs> there's, you know, there's horror stories of people who have tried to raise big cats hear- in their house or big snakes or, or even crocodiles. A couple of weeks ago, somebody got gored by a buffalo out in the refuge. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. They uh, tried, uh, and they're, tried if the- you like, what are you thinking, man? It's a wild animal. <laughs> this thing can like end right. your life. And well, they're people, trying, to, ha- they're trying me, to have dominion. We'll take they're a try- <laughs> selfie with this, with this gigantic animal that's fast. As they're, fast as they're a trying horse. to they're trying to be obedient to the creation mandate, Jay. Larry, Larry <laughs> this is perfect. Larry, you ever see anybody get gored by a buffalo out there? That happens a lot, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It's crazy, man. Just people walking up and trying to pet them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not not a good idea. Yeah. And <laughs> part of the problem here, right? <laughs> in God's, you know, if if we were living in Eden. You'd be able to walk up and pet a buffalo. Maybe ride that thing. Maybe ride it. Yeah, uh, but we don't. We don't see everything in subjection. But we do see the one who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Um, and like you said, this is the first time that his name has actually been used in the book. We've we've been going for weeks, and uh, the, the the author hasn't used his name. Here it is, and it's kind of this escalation. He's leading us along. Here's here's God's son, and here's who he is, and he's superior to the angels, and we need to listen to the message that he's declared. And here's who we who we're talking about. We're not talking about this, you know, some other guy. We're talking about Jesus, namely Jesus. Um, and so the way that I think we need to read Psalm eight, and I, I didn't go into this in the sermon. I, I think we need to read it typologically. Uh-huh. So Adam. This, this is um, supposed to be the original order of creation. This is the original design. Adam is supposed to be in dominion over everything. But through his fall, he's lost it. And we don't see it. We don't see it. Um, we, we live in chaos. Not, not only are we fallen, but the world has fallen. Uh-huh. Um, we saw that just you know last week. How many tornadoes? There's a lot. It's like 20 tornadoes, 22 tornadoes. Mm-hmm. That's what, second second in Oklahoma history for yeah. the number of tornadoes in, in a an month? odd time. Odd time, yeah. Um, it's because we're living in a fallen world. You can't tame those, right? Can't go out there with a lasso yeah. uh, and, and rope a tornado. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do see Jesus. And so even though Psalm 8 is, you, you read it, and you're like, well, this, is, this sounds really good, but it's just not reality. Um, it is pointing forward to the last Adam, who this all does come to fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And so when we read Psalm 8, it is, it's talking about Jesus, but it's talking about Jesus in his humanity. So there's a reason why Jesus 
um, was made a man. There's a reason why he came. He came and was made a little lower than the angels in his incarnation um, in order that he could be the last Adam and he could fulfill all of the all of the purposes that were given to the first Adam that he failed through his disobedience. The last Adam, Jesus, in his obedience, he will fulfill all those purposes. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Now, my my kids say we're having a little bit of a, a difficult time with that that idea that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. And I think they kind of highlight what a lot of people uh-huh. feel about Jesus. Um, how can Jesus be a little lower than the angels? Uh-huh. Isn't he superior to the angels? I mean, that's the that's the point that right. the, that the author's been making the entire book. He's been talking about how Jesus is better than the angels, but here um, in verse nine, we see Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. So I had to explain that to them yesterday. How did you do that? Well, I I asked them, um, okay, are you are you uh, better? Are you superior to the angels? Or are you less than the angels now their first their first answers were better than the angels because we're made in the image of god right? right uh but i i said all right do you get hungry get thirsty do you get tired uh, can you get sick um can you you know get cut get hurt yes angels that doesn't happen to angels right um what what happened in the old testament when someone saw an angel they fall down. They fall down, right? Right. That's not that's not the superior falling down to the <laughs> to the inferior, right? The angels are more glorious. Right. Um, the angels can I mean angels can just go and wipe out an army, right? They're they're superior to humanity. So I said, Was Jesus made like you? Yeah. He was made for a little while lower than the angels. Right. In his humanity, he uh-huh. he suffered the same things. He he got hungry, got thirsty, got tired. Um, you know, if he was careless when he was unrolling that scroll, he'd get a paper cut. I don't know if you can get a paper <laughs> cut from a scroll. Uh, you know, he he could experience all of these things. Yeah. Um, he was made for a little while lower than the angels uh-huh. in his incarnation. I think we need to we need to grasp that. Yeah. The humiliation of the incarnation is the point. Right. And I think a lot of people they shy away from it because. Don't don't talk about Jesus that way. Right. That is the point. Yeah. The point is Jesus was humiliated. And we don't get it. What's interesting is um, I was talking once with a Muslim about this, and he said, no. He didn't even like that I was talking about it. He yeah. said, that is too condescending. Yeah. God would never become a man. <laughs> right. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, bingo. Well, yeah, I'm like you actually, you actually get, you're getting it. Yeah, like, you're getting it. Right. Here's the one who made the angels. Yeah. He he is. Uh, go back to you know verses 10, 10 through twelve of of chapter one. He is Yahweh. He's the one who's eternal. He's he's self sufficient. He he's self existent. Uh, you know, we were talking about the aseity of of God before we started. Um, this this God who doesn't need anything. And now he needs his mom to feed him and change his, change his diaper. Mm-hmm. You can't just leave him alone. He, he'll die of exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you, could, you could drop him. Th- that's, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, 
that's that's the point we need to grasp that mm-hmm. don't shy away from the the reality of the incarnation mm-hmm. the fact that jesus had to learn how to walk and he had to learn how to talk he had to learn his uh his alphabet yeah right he had to learn how to read before he could read the scriptures he had to learn how to read yeah that's that's the point mm-hmm. that's the point he was made for a little while lower than the angels mm-hmm. um mary and joseph had to potty train jesus yeah and uh, you know a lot of christians that makes them uncomfortable be uncomfortable that's right because that's that's what happened yeah it should make you uncomfortable <laughs> that's what, yeah that's what happened you know um he didn't he didn't you know you, you talked about how jesus probably knew three languages he didn't come out of the womb <laughs> talking three languages yeah um, and he, the, he cried the you know you read um what is it uh, away in the manger mm-hmm. you know that christmas that christmas carol we sing away in the manger um it says that the uh what is it the cattle are lowing the baby awakes but little lord jesus no crying he makes yeah that's not accurate right that's, that's not accurate christology yeah jesus cried yeah that's how he told told his mommy he was hungry just like a regular Je- baby. Yeah, Jesus Jesus woke Mary in the middle of the night. Yeah. That's that's the reality of the incarnation. Yeah. We need to grasp that. Uh-huh. Um and we'll see, we'll see as we go next week the importance of this. He had to be made like this. He had to be made like his brothers in right. every respect. Um for our salvation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but here we see that that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's purposes for humanity. Yeah. So he he entered into our humanity in order to represent a new humanity. Yeah. Uh, so that God's purposes that are laid out very explicitly in Psalm eight would come to fruition. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't come to fruition if Jesus hadn't been made a little lower than the angels. But he's not made. He's not a little lower than the angels now. Right. Um. He's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Philippians chapter two. Now, even though he was he was found in the the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to to grasp hold of, to hold on tightly to. But he willingly he willingly um, humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant, mm-hmm. um, and he even humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, and because of that, God has highly exalted him, so that at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. And that includes the angels. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's not he's not a little lower than the angels now. He is as chapter one says he's superior to the angels. Uh, but in order for him to be superior to the angels as the Messiah, as the God man, uh, he had to be made for a little while lower than the angels so that he could suffer um death. And that should give us hope. Yeah, that's right. that that uh, you know God's purposes for humanity. That's good news. Mm-hmm. That God hasn't just you know written us off. Um, but it should give us hope that God's purposes for humanity are fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah. So when we look around at this world and we say all of this is falling apart, we that's our eyeballs. That's mm-hmm. what our eyes are telling us. But if you look with the eyes of faith, you see Jesus who suffered but is now glorified, and we see that he is ruling and reigning. He is the fulfillment of the purposes of, of Psalm 8. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. All right, so then now the third thing that we see here in this text is found in verses 9 through 13, and that's God's intent. So God intends Jesus to bring many sons to glory. So, 
That's good is, news, right? This is like the heart of it, uh-huh. of this passage, really. Right. I think, mm-hmm. uh, for encouragement. Yeah. Um, like that's... I think, the, it's the, the t- I think it's the whole point. The whole point is this actually matters for you. It's it's not just this high theological doctrine. Like This actually has real-life application for you today. Yeah. You... The terminology is important too, right? Mm-hmm. Many sons. Right. Explain maybe the importance of that, because I think it's key. Yeah. Which part do you want me to talk Does about God first? Want many, many or, many, or sons? Many, many slaves. <laughs> right. Many servants. Yeah. What right. do we become? That's, right. I think, mm-hmm. when we're talking about where this is all going, what is God? what is God's plan to do with us? Yeah, you've got this um, affectionate language being used. Um, so sons, um, brothers, children, um, it's, we often have this view of, of God as distant, as um, maybe benevolent, you know, he's got good intentions for humanity, but he's still aloof, he's, you know, the, the transcendence of God, he's still, he's still far above us. Mm-hmm. And so we can do our best to reach him, but there's, there's always going to be kind of this chasm, yeah, um, between us, that's not what we see here. And you, you contrasted two things. I think we're really good at communicating the difference between. I want to ask you to do it again. Big news and good news. Yeah. Well, big news, the incarnation, right? Uh huh. Like here's all of God's purposes. There, it's big news, um, but it's only good news if you can actually take part in it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so the illustration I used is, you know, I could tell you that there's going to be this big carnival, there's this big party, we're going to set up tents in the parking lot, there's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be a petting zoo, and there's going to be animals, and it's going to be uh, food uh, as much as much as you want to eat, and you can take some home, and uh, there's going to be music, and Each person gets a million dollars. And, yeah, there's, you know, there's party favors and all this stuff. Um, but you're not invited. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, you can maybe go across the street to Atwoods and you know get, get some your binoculars, <laughs> get your binoculars, and <laughs> like it's big news, right? This this big carnival um, is coming to town, and and there's going to be all these performers, and it's going to be great. It's it's going to be you know the highlight of the year. But it's only good news if you actually get to go. If you actually get to partake in it, mm-hmm. and it's the same with with this, he's he's talking. I mean, he's painting this big history encompassing news. God has this purpose for humanity. It is dominion over the world to come, and Jesus is the one who ensures it's going to happen. All of these promises are made and kept to Jesus, and that's big news. Um, but it wouldn't be good news if we were to say. Jesus is going to be standing there by himself on the new earth. Right. Like, well, he gets to have dominion over everything, and it's going to be Jesus and a bunch of animals. We're banished to the moon and, you, and the wasteland and you, you, you know, watch. you're you're going to be, you know, cast out. Mm-hmm. And you can see it from a distance, but you can never join in. That w- that that's, would not, be, that's not good well, news. That's terrible news. That would actually be hell. Yeah, that's that's the worst news. Right. right? That That is hell. Um, hell is knowing that there is bliss and there's perfect joy um in in fellowship with jesus on this new earth but you Mm -hmm. are never going to be able to get there 
Mm-hmm. There, there is, as Abraham told the rich man, um, there's, there's a chasm, and um, you can't cross over from there to us, and we can't cross over from here to you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's hell. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, that's, that's terrible news. But the good news is that Jesus isn't going to be alone. Yeah. That Jesus, um, so we, we see that, that by the grace of God, Jesus has tasted death for everyone. I don't know how how much you want to talk about, you know that that term, but well, we the, should the talk whole, about it because I think it was a highlight of, of the sermon. Yeah, and the, um, the whole you know the whole the whole the rest of this um, you know ten through thirteen is all about union with Christ. Yeah, you get in. Yeah. you you can get in on this. Right, it's open. There's an open invitation to mm-hmm. anyone to come be a part of it. Yeah. The thing is, is it, it it centers on Jesus. Yeah. So you've got to be in this thing by being with Him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it focuses on Him. But the good news is that anybody can get in on this. Yeah. So now let's talk about this: that He tasted death for everyone. Okay. Because that would be the thing that people would bring up: say, "Hey, look, this this passage is right. actually teaching um, provisionism." <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the term. Yeah. They they, they uh-huh. invented a new theological term. Right. To dis, to to talk about these things, yeah, and they call it that Jesus mm-hmm. provided, right. like he provided for you the opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what the passage teaches? Provisionism or to something else? I don't think so. I don't think so because of the way that, um, and we get we get into this more, and that's. We have to. We have, again. We have to take this whole the mm-hmm. whole passage together, right? Um, because you can't just it, it. You can't just take verse nine and rip it out of its context and use it as a gotcha verse and say, "Look, Jesus died for for everyone." Mm-hmm. Isn't that what the passage says? And I think it's important for us to remember the Greek word is "all." He died for all. Mm-hmm. Um, does all what? Doesn't that mean everybody who's ever lived? Um, doesn't that mean Jesus died for you know Goliath? <laughs> didn't he, didn't he die for Caiaphas? Uh, what about Judas? Didn't Jesus go and die for Judas? Um, I don't think if you take this whole passage well, together, I don't think that you can come to that and, that conclusion. And even if you just spread out a little bit more from Hebrews, I mm-hmm. think it makes it pretty clear that there, if you as fall, we go through, yeah, yeah, there remains no sacrifice for some, mm-hmm. right? So obviously. That would make the word here all not mean what you think it means. Right. As we go through, we're going to see that um, it's the redemption that Christ has provided is for a particular people. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the so who just, are the people? just the idea that um, he uh, you know you, you go you go through and he he talks about bringing many sons to glory. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's his brothers, the children God has given me. Um, we've got. Jesus making propitiation, um, that the definition of that word is Christ has satisfied God's wrath. Mm-hmm. So God is angry against sin. Um, God is just and he has to punish sin. Jesus comes and on the cross he propitiates God's wrath. So he takes God's wrath, he drinks the cup of God's wrath down to the very dregs. There is no wrath left. That's, that's what the word propitiation means. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that's the definition of propitiation, which it is, 
we're not going to you know right. we're not going to be the we're not going to be the you know go in and and silently change the definition um the ministry of truth the, we're not going to be the ministry of truth we're going to take the definition of propitiation it means that god's wrath actually is satisfied if that's the definition then then uh if jesus if we take the word everyone to mean everyone who's ever lived then there is no hell we we are left with universalism uh-huh it has to be or you're sneaking in a different definition of propitiation right you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too mm-hmm. <laughs> propitiation has to mean this and if if everyone means literally everyone who's ever lived then you've got universalism mm-hmm. god's wrath has been satisfied against everyone who's ever lived so we don't even need to evangelize right um, because everyone's already in because jesus has died uh, but then we have the connection between Jesus as the propitiation and the high priest. Mm-hmm. Those things always go together. Um, look, look at all these these you know gotcha passages that that Armenians like to throw out, and you'll see that that Jesus as a priest as a mediator, it's it's usually somewhere in that context. So who is he high priest for? Is he high priest for everyone? Right. Is, he, is he high priest for unbelievers right now? Is he interceding on behalf of? Um, you know, the worst unbeliever in the world right now. I don't think you can get that. Not from right. Hebrews. Mm. Um, not from John seventeen. Right. Um, his high priestly work and his his atonement that those go together. You you can't separate those two as if well he atones for everyone, but he only mediates for some. Right. They go together. Um, and so there is there's a particularity. There's a there's a definite atonement going on here. Yeah. So when it says that he tasted death for everyone, he tasted death for all, he's talking about those who are united with Christ. So right. I, I think that what we get out of this is that every single believer can say Christ died for me. Yeah, yeah. And you you brought up John seventeen because he tells you there, like he answers the question. <laughs> yeah. When he says, I'm not praying for them, but for mm-hmm. those you have given me. Right. And then as he goes on in the prayer, he says he's praying also for everyone who will believe in me through their words. Mm-hmm. So that would be every Christian throughout all of time. Right. He's praying for those given to him by the Father. Yeah. And so he intercedes. Yeah. He does his priestly work for the people he's praying for. So it, for him to say, Jesus died for everyone. Um, that's not giving the hope that I think this passage is all about. This passage is meant to encourage these Christians to to heed the warning, right? Um, and the hope is look, Jesus has already died for you; He's tasted death for you. Um, and so you can persevere; you can pay attention to this message and not drift away because you have a Savior who has already purchased your death or your your life through his death, and you are secure. Yeah. So you you persevere because of the work of Christ. Right. Uh, your, your perseverance is not something that you're doing on your own energy. You It's Philippians chapter 2 again. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's verses 1 through 4. For God is the one who is both willing and working in you mm-hmm. um, for his good purposes. That's, that's verses 5 through 18. Um, and so Christ has died for you. It's already done. He's yeah. tasted death for everyone. Every single every single Christian can say on their deathbed, my hope is not in, uh, I, I walked an aisle, I said a prayer, I got baptized, I joined a church, I've been a faithful deacon or pastor, or my daddy was a pastor. You know, uh, that, those are not your hope. Your hope is Christ died for me. 
Yeah. Now talk about uh, in the in the few minutes we have left, twelve and thirteen. Okay. And this idea uh, of Jesus, I, I like how you brought it out of Jesus singing. Mm. Something I, I had not considered before. Right. Well, I mean, they you can go back to the uh, you know Matthew's account of the upper room, and after they get done with the Last Supper, what do they do? Sing a hymn, uh-huh. right? They sing a hymn. Uh, but here we're. Uh, He's he's drawing out some more Old Testament passages, and and I just didn't have time to get into like we couldn't flip to these um, in the sermon. So he's, he's quoting from Psalm twenty two, mm-hmm. um, and if you remember the if you remember Psalm twenty two, it starts with "My God, My God, Why have you forsaken me?" Jesus's cry from the cross, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it ends with uh, it ends with the Messiah. He's alive. God has. God has rescued him from death. And so he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Um, Jesus here is described as singing. Um, He's singing of the salvation of the Lord, and he's proclaiming it to his brothers. Mm -hmm. He's proclaiming it in the midst of the congregation. Again, Again, it's very specific, right? He is singing the praises of God and what God has done for him to his brothers. Look, God has rescued me. Yeah. And you are my brothers. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing you with me. That's good news. That's that's hope. Yeah. Um look, the the whole book of Psalms is uh the songs of the Messiah. That's how that's how we read them. Mm-hmm. They they're the songs of Jesus. Um there's an interesting um there's an interesting theory, you know, Jesus on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's Psalm 22, verse 1. And then, um, you remember what he says before he dies? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I can't remember what psalm that is, but it's it's like Psalm 20, 26, maybe, 27. Mm-hmm. So there's an interesting theory that um, what Jesus is doing on the cross is he's actually going through those the Psalms. Wow. He's, he starts with Psalm 22 and uh-huh. he ends, he ends with this one. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head where that is, but they're, they're close together. Uh-huh. And so there, there's an interesting theory that Jesus is actually going through those, um, those Psalms. Um, but like, this, in, like in his mind, he's going mm-hmm. through them and he's, he could have even been repeat. He could have even been saying them saying out loud. Them, I mean, yeah. um, we're, we're just given the recorded words, right? Right. Um, that's not to say that he's not, reciting these these psalms as he's on the cross as he's he's suffering uh-huh. right but um at the end he he commits his his spirit to his father and then he dies and he dies and the soldier says i've never seen one die like that yeah right after seeing bazillions of people die. <laughs> right. <laughs> right yeah um and then verse 13 um he's uh he's quoting isaiah chapter 8 verses 17 and 18 which is an interesting, it's an interesting passage for him to be quoting there. And I think what he's doing, Isaiah in this, um, God is giving him a message of judgment, coming judgment. Um, and Isaiah is saying, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. And you remember the, the beginning of chapter eight is Isaiah, he has, a, he has a child. You want to try to pronounce his name? No. Maharla Shashbaz or something like that. <laughs> I, I probably butchered that. Um, it's a long name. 
Um, and it's a sign that God is going to fulfill his promises of judgment and redemption. Mm. And Isaiah says, behold, I and the children God have given me that we are, they are a sign. They're a sign of, of God's faithfulness. Mm. And so I think what's going on, again, he's drawing on this, this typological interpretation. Here's Isaiah and his children, the, the prophet who is enduring suffering and he's still believing God and his children with him are a sign that God is going to fulfill his word. Um, the writer of Hebrews is bringing that over and he's saying Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets. He is the one who believed God even through suffering and the very, the very existence of his children is evidence that God is going to fulfill his promises. Right. That's, that's good news for, for, uh, for God's people. Because of Jesus and what he's done, our, our salvation is secure. Mm-hmm. And I love that verse in, uh, in verse um, 11. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, mm-hmm. and that that literally just means they're all of one. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like here's Jesus and here's his church. Yeah, they're they're joined together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I use the illustration that that Jesus is not this distant God, but but Jesus is like the the church is is cleaving to Jesus like a, a wife to a husband, mm-hmm. and so. Jesus, when he looks at his church, he says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's, that's how close they are. They're cleaved together. Mm-hmm. And he says, that's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Yeah. I love that. I love that verse. That's, that's one of my favorite, my favorite sentences in the book of Hebrews is that one. I think we could just meditate upon that. And that's, that's meant to give us hope that no matter what you're going through, the temptations that you're struggling with, the weaknesses, the sins, if you're trusting in Christ... Jesus, the, the book of Hebrews says, he's not ashamed to call you brother. Yeah, and that is great. That's great. Uh, if you've ever been to a family reunion or you know a big family holiday, you know what it's like to be ashamed of, <laughs> of someone. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go to Christmas this year because I heard that guy is going to be there. <laughs> and he's always, you know, he's always an embarrassment. Always Jesus drinking too much eggnog. <laughs> Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't, he's not ashamed to call you brother. Despite, you know, you're not going to embarrass him. Yeah. Um, you're not going to shame him. Cleave to Christ. That's our, that's our hope. Our hope is found in what Jesus has done in, in his incarnation. He's taken on our, our weakness, our humanity. Um, he has overcome through his death and resurrection and his glorification. We are united with him by faith, and uh, he's going to bring us home. Yeah. Good, good stuff. So next time we'll finish up chapter two. 14 through 18, and we'll break. see we'll see why why was it important that Jesus actually become a man. Yeah, yeah. So one more, and then we'll be back in uh, John. Okay. I'm going to finish it out, George. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Going to finish it out finally. Yeah, it's going to be a little bittersweet. Yeah, it will be. Be yeah. good, though. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it, again, we were, we were talking about this on Friday. Um, we don't plan this stuff out. Yeah. But really... Going through this part of Hebrews and then jumping back into the the crucifixion and the the resurrection, what does Jesus tell? What does Jesus tell Mary when he he says, "Go, go to my brothers and say, um, uh, what is it? I'm I'm going to my God and your God." Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like he comes out of the tomb and he says, "They're coming with me." Yep. So it's it's all going to it's all going to fit together. Mm-hmm. 
It's good. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Hopefully it's been a blessing and beneficial to you as we go through Hebrews. If you're interested in this, you can always go back and check out the actual sermon that's available on our website uh, over at uh, Christ Fellowship Church in Lawton, or you can go to our YouTube channel and watch it there. Uh, it's also available on iTunes. Uh, thanks for listening. Hopefully it's been beneficial. And if, you, if it has been, please like, subscribe, share, maybe write us a review. And as always, it's our hope this is, that this helps you to become more and more conformed to Christ. See you next time.